Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, All My Mothers Throughout Space, by Lama Kathy Wesley. Using a famous refuge prayer as her basis, Lama Kathy will talk about Buddhist teachings about motherhood, how Buddha's two mothers nurtured him, how karma nudges us to care for others, and how the greatest mother in our lives might just be in our own minds. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. So good morning, everyone. Thanks very much for coming. Um, my name is uh, Kathy Wesley, and I'm the resident teacher here at Karma Takes and Choling. And I would like to welcome all of you to this morning's Dharma talk. I, uh, I'll begin with a commercial. Sorry. You just can't get away from them. Um, I uh, want to let everyone know that Columbus KTC is going to host its very first Lama visit by one of the, um, the teachers, one of the resident teachers at our home monastery in Woodstock, New York, on Memorial Day weekend. So if you are not otherwise promised somewhere or engaged, we would love to have you come and visit us that weekend to see Kempo Ergen Tenzin, who is a meditation master, and he's also the abbot of the uh, Karma Triana Dharma Chakra Monastery, which we call our home monastery. Uh, he's the abbot of that monastery and a meditation master. He's coming to teach us meditation. So uh, he's going to give a four-part talk on the path of tranquility and insight meditation. And so it will start on the Friday night of the Memorial Day weekend, which I believe is the 27th, and will continue Saturday morning, uh, as well as Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. On Saturday afternoon, he's going to give the first empowerment uh, in this room there's going to be a lot of firsts in this, um, in this particular visit. And uh, we're really, really excited to be hosting him. Uh, we're uh, hoping that you will check us out on Eventbrite. And please sign up uh, soon. You can attend any part of it that you want to attend. You can uh, attend just the Friday night talk. You can attend two of the four lectures. We are going to record them, so they will be available to you later. We even have Zoom participation for people, for in exchange for a donation, you can have the Zoom link sent to you. So wherever you are on that weekend, if you'd like to check out Kempo Urgen Tenzin's teachings, he's going to be translated by uh, Kempo Sanjay Trinley, who's another uh, meditation teacher and scholar who has been working with him at the monastery. And he has a, uh, they both have uh, very kind aspects and they're, they love questions. So if you have Dharma questions, it's gonna be a great way to connect to the uh, holders of our tradition. So anyway, just thought I would give that shameless advertisement for this upcoming event. And you can uh, check us out on uh, Facebook, and uh, also on our website, www.columbusktc.org. So um, today, I'm going to wish everyone in this room, regardless of your current status, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Now, you might say, now, wait a minute, I'm not a mother, but wait. It's actually possible that I could, in all seriousness, say the words Happy Mother's Day to every single one of you, even those of you who don't have children at the current moment. And uh, so, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the talk that I'm going to give today 
is called All of My Mothers Throughout Space. And those of you who attend any of our uh, Tuesday night Chenrezig chants will know that every Tuesday night we recite a prayer called the prayer that saved Sakya Monastery. And it goes back to, I'm going to say, gosh, 13th century, maybe, uh, 14th century, um, when uh, the Tibetan saint Tong Tong Gyalpo uh, wrote a prayer uh, that was aimed at, um, aimed at, oh, yeah, that was aimed at uh, quelling a disturbance uh, of, thank you, a, a health problem or a health crisis that had beset Sakya Monastery. And so um, being able to, um, uh, to recite this prayer and the compassion mantra, Omani Peme Hung, actually quelled the pandemic. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that prayer also today. It's going to be a busy day. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to start with a prayer very traditional, very traditional Buddhist way of starting a talk. And um, this is a prayer of taking refuge in the Buddha as our teacher, his teachings as our path, and his community as our community. And uh, super, uh, anyway, more, more will be revealed, we'll put it that way, about this prayer. You can join in if it's a prayer with which you are familiar, and if it's not a prayer with which you are familiar, you can join in in your heart and in your mind, thinking that you dedicate this session of study and practice to the benefit of all suffering beings. I'll recite this prayer twice in English and recite it once in Tibetan, just so you can hear it in its language, original language. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Oi sanje chudan so ji cho nam la Jang chu pardu dani kyapsu che Da ji jen so ji besu nam ki Drola pen shir sanje Thank you. Okay. Poor Paulin Sauer Lamar Hemboche Tagichi or Pede Tenchula Kadrin Jembo Gonechi Sunte Kusum Tugging a drip Okay, thanks very much. So um, I thought it would be good to start the topic of uh, Mother's Day with an example from the life of the Buddha. The Buddha was pretty lucky, as most go, because he had not just one mother, he had two. And uh, when he was born, he had a birth mother and the birth mother was the queen of his, of his clan and his state. And uh, she, after she passed away, he had a second mother. And his second mother was his adoptive mother. So Queen Maya was the Buddha's birth mother and Mahaprajapati was his adopted mother. And so the story of the Buddha is the story of a person uh, who uh, had one of the biggest losses of a person's life when he was so small and yet was handed into adulthood uh, by uh, another mother who looked after him as though he were her own son. 
<clears throat> so um, I can say a couple of things about Queen Maya, the mother of the Buddha, in that she was the um, she was the daughter herself of a king, and was married to a king, and had uh, a very comfortable life by all accounts. Uh, she had a special dream one night, and in that dream she imagined, or she saw in the dream, a white elephant coming to her on rays of light and greeting her with a lotus flower. He entered into her body from the right side, and, uh, and she uh, conceived the, uh, the child who became Prince Siddhartha. And so in this uh, way, her story begins with her remarkable upbringing as, um, as a princess, and then her arrival in the court of King Suddhodana, who was the father of the Buddha, and then uh, her conception of the Prince Siddhartha, and then his amazing birth. She was on her way back to her hometown, which was customary at that time. Women went to their hometown to deliver their children. And uh, on the way, uh, she paused to take a walk. She stepped out of her palanquin and took a few steps and uh, then grabbed the branch of a tree. And it is said in the stories of the life of the Buddha that the young child, Prince Siddhartha, left her body miraculously from the right side of her body just as the elephant had entered, Prince Siddhartha came to be. Now, whether we believe these um, legendary stories or not, the truth is that Queen Maya was the mother of the Buddha. Uh, she was the mother of this Prince Siddhartha, who eventually became known to us as the Buddha, the Awakened One. So she has a, pl a special place in all of our hearts as the woman who took on the work of being an amazing person. She took on the suffering of motherhood and all of that went with it. And she also bravely faced everything, including her own death. It was said in the stories of the life of the Buddha that she died seven days after the birth of the Buddha and placed the care of young Prince Siddhartha into the hands of her sister, the Princess Mahaprajapati. And so uh, she then, the sister, became Buddha's foster mother. And so the Buddha, as a young man, Prince Siddhartha, had both of these experiences, the experience of having a mother who passed away in the experience of being raised by someone who loved him as though he were her own child. So here we see, um, once again, the strength and resiliency of women in general, the strength and resiliency of women in general, but also the strength and resiliency of this uh, particular woman, Queen Maya. But we shouldn't forget about the Buddha's other mother, her, his foster mother, Mahaprajapati. And she is also remarkable in her own way because not only did she uh, raise Prince Siddhartha as, as though he were her own son, she, uh, she also advanced the cause of women in the Buddhist ordained Sangha after the Buddha's enlightenment. And, uh, and, and she did this by demanding to be the first woman ordained as a monastic under the Buddha. Her story is very popular, and people love to retell it. 
she wanted to, um, to ordain, to become a follower of her, of her adopted son. And of course, at that time, only men were in the gathering of Sangha, of the ordained. Only men were in that group. And uh, after the death of King Suddhodana, uh, I'm just going to read you the story. She decided to attain ordination. So she went to the Buddha and asked to be ordained. It is said in the legends that the Buddha at first refused. But then when he continued his teaching journey and uh, went to uh, Vaishali, which was a nearby town, Mahaprajapati uh, did not give up. She did not give up. Uh, she was uh, uh, undaunted. She actually uh, shaved off all of her hair, which was unthinkable in her culture at the time. And then she put on the yellow robes of a monastic. And, uh, and then with many other ladies from the clan, the Sakya clan, they, uh, they, they walked. Uh, dozens of kilometers to Vaishali on foot. Upon arrival with her, uh, they say it's about a hundred women in all, did a women's march. Again, this is a women's march 2,500 years ago. I just need to, I just need to repeat this. You know, asking for equal treatment. It's, it's kind of an amazing story. Upon arrival in Vaishali, she repeated her request to be ordained. And then Ananda, one of the principal disciples and an attendant of the Buddha, met Mahaprajapati and offered to intercede with the Buddha on her behalf. So respectfully, he went and spoke to the Buddha. Uh, in those days, uh, one, instead of making suggestions to one's teacher, which probably didn't happen much in those, in those days, like, hey, teacher, why don't you do this? Hey, teacher, why don't you do that? They, they, they were very respectful, so they didn't go about it that way. They asked questions instead. So he went up and said, um, Lord Buddha, are women capable of realizing the various stages of Buddhahood? as nuns, are they capable? And then he answered, the Buddha answered, yes, they are, Ananda. Then Ananda said, if that is so, Lord, then would it be good if women could be ordained as nuns? Uh, and he was very encouraged uh, by the Buddha's reply, which was in the affirmative. If that is so, then they are worthy of being ordained. If they have the capacity, they are worthy of ordination. And that is how the Buddha agreed to ordain women. And so uh, there's more to the story than that. Uh, but, uh, and that's a, a discussion for another time. But what I like about the story of the Buddha's other mother, Mahaprajapati is that she had a lot of strength, courage, and wisdom to lead a women's march 2,500 years ago to demand equality. I love this story. It's a fabulous story. And we're still requesting equality today in many areas of society. And we continue to be undaunted, no matter what happens. No matter what happens, no matter what the opposition is. We know that the Buddhist teaching is that all beings have the equal capacity for awakening and therefore are worthy of honor and respect. So uh, that's a little bit of an introduction to the topic of motherhood by talking about the story of the historical Buddha.
Prince Siddhartha, who became Shakyamuni, or the sage of the Shakya clan. And I think that if we look at the story, uh, it's a story of bravery, and it's a story of giving and generosity. And this morning, um, the reason I got my cell phone out is the Dalai Lama, uh, his, um, he posted today a, a comment about motherhood. He said, for most of us, our mother is our first teacher. My own mother first showed me compassion and one of the things about her was that she always presented a kind face to me. As human beings, our lives begin in the shelter of our mother's care and affection, without which we would not survive. So there's, there's a lot of warmth in that approach. We know that there's a lot of difficulty in this world, but the mothers try to make it better for us. For some of us, it's not our birth mother, it's our foster mother, just like the Buddha. And for still other people, it's our dad or a grandparent. This person who shows us kindness, who cares for us, who uh, gives us what we need. And so the example of the mother comes up frequently in Buddhist teachings. In fact, if we look at all of the teachings of the Buddha, we'll see that we can have this gratitude that one has toward one's mother. We can see that we can have this gratitude toward one mother as we can have it towards others as well. Those of you who are familiar with the Buddhist teachings on karma, action, cause, and result, know that when we do positive and virtuous things, if we're generous to people, if we're patient, if we're ethical, then this produces within our minds a, a state that we call the, the mind of virtue or the mind of merit. And that allows us to grow as individuals. Whereas the Buddha also taught that if we do negative things, cause harm to ourselves, cause harm to other people, if we cause harm, then uh, we experience negativity and we experience an atmosphere, we create an atmosphere within ourselves of suffering that other people can see and experience when they come near to us. So the Buddha said, if we can learn to work with our thoughts and work with our minds, then we can actually change how we experience the world. And this was his radical vision that we can change how we see the world by changing how we work with our mind, giving us the power to change our environment and our, our internal and external environment for the better. And so if we think about it, um, karma can help us to see that just as the Buddha said that we, our mind has no beginning and no end, and uh, just as the Buddha said that one moment of consciousness lays the basis for the next moment of consciousness, and this takes us all the way into the past, into what the Buddha called the no beginning of time, and, and takes us forward until the, uh, the place the Buddha called the no ending of time, Time has no beginning, time has no end. So our mind has no beginning and our mind has no end. In some ways you could say it is birthless and deathless. The mind is birthless and deathless. However, we in this particular life that we're in right now, we had a mother. We had a mother, we had a father, we had a a, um, an origin for this body. This body had an origin. And this mind continued from the past through this life and will continue on into the future. 
But if it's true, if that is true of this life, then it has actually been true of every life that we have ever had. Going back into the unseeable past, every lifetime we had a mother. Okay, maybe mother was heat and moisture if we, when we were little protozoas or something, but, but in the majority of the lives where we had a birth, we had a mother. And the Buddha said that because we have lived on countless births, we have had on countless births, we've had on countless lives, at some point, every being has been our mother. And we have been the mother to every other being somewhere in the past. And, um, and this is why I feel like I can say to all of you, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> because in some life, you were my mom. And I can say to you, thanks. Thanks, because without you, I would not be here. Because that's what we, no matter what happens in this life, some people have really complex and difficult relationships with their mother in this life. But regardless of that, we're still here. And now we have the capacity and the mind and the mind that can become awakened because of this life. And so it's an incredible bit of gratitude to feel. And, um, and so I am reminded of my, uh, one of my friends uh, named John, who has, has been a friend of our center for many years. He teaches in school at a college. And he said uh, one day, he really inspired me by saying, when I go into my classroom, I try to remember the words, hi, mom, because he said, I want to try to remind myself that these students, even the ones that get on my last raw nerve, are like my kids. They're, you know, they are dear to me, and even if they're being bad, that they are someone I have the potential to benefit. There's someone that I can benefit. And he says, and I, I try to control my anger with that, he said. Because you know, sometimes people can't get on your last raw nerve. So um, that's a little bit about how karma helps us to see ourselves and all beings with love and respect. And, uh, and now I'm going to see if I can do this. I do not know. I may have to ask um, for assistance. Uh, Julaine, do, uh, is there any, do we have a paper copy of the prayer that saves Sakya anywhere in this room? If we do, great. If not, I will try to look one up on my phone. I want to review uh, this prayer with you. We may or may not have that. It's a, it is a, a newer edition. It's, it's a, an edition that we've, uh, we made uh, when the Oh yeah, here it is, I've got it. I've got it, Julaine, so we're covered. Yeah, we're good. I can't show it to other people, but I can read it to you. Um, there's a, a prayer, a famous prayer in Tibetan Buddhism where you take refuge in, as we did just now, in the Buddha as the teacher, the Dharma as the path, and the Sangha as the community. But there are lots of formulas. There are lots of formulas for this prayer. It can be like any other type of poetry. It can be a form that can then be filled with any ideas that you might want. Um, and so this particular formulation is very beautiful because it, well, let me just read it. All my mothers, all sentient beings throughout space, go for refuge to the gurus, the precious Buddhas. We go for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. We go for refuge to the uh, gurus, Yidams, and Dakinis. We go for refuge to our own mind, the empty, clear Dharmakaya. Um, so this poem of taking refuge talks about motherhood in several different ways. 
And uh, when I was thinking of this prayer this week, I said to myself, I've got to talk about these ideas of motherhood that are in this prayer. All my mothers, all sentient beings throughout space, go for refuge to the gurus, the precious Buddhas. So it's as though we are saying to all of the beings we have ever been a mother to, we're asking them to be present with us because we who have discovered the Buddha as a teacher, we might feel connected, but the people around us may not feel that connection. And we can't go around telling people, you know, you really should hear about Buddhism. It's just not, it's not our jam. It's not the way we do things. But the way we do things is by mentally including everyone. We mentally include everyone in our prayers, thinking that we're the ones who know the prayers, so we're going to say them on behalf of all of these beings. And so that's why this formulation makes me really happy, because it reminds us compassionately of all the beings who've ever been our mother, and it allows us to lead them and to guide them, even if it's just in our own minds, to gather them close to us in our minds, to give them the, that embrace in our minds and say, you're part of me, you're part of my life, you're part of my path. I'm taking you with me toward enlightenment. And this is how we make connections. We already have connections according to the teachings of the Buddha. Everybody's been our mom and we've been theirs. So we already have these connections. So if we strengthen the, our connection to other people. And even if it's just a mental strengthening of our connection and gathering them to us mentally, then we don't have to try to tell anybody anything or make them believe like we believe or any of that. We can just carry them with us in our hearts and take them with us toward enlightenment. My teacher, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, used to say, that the person who benefits the most from our dharma practice, they benefit automatically, he said, without us even having to think about it, is our parents of this life. That's it, and our children. They automatically benefit from our meditation, even if they never meditate themselves, or if they never believe in the dharma themselves, they benefit automatically because it is as though this connection, which is so strong in this life between parent and child, it's as though there's some automatic virtue that they're influenced by in some subtle way. They're influenced by the goodness that we put out there. And, and he also said that once we become an enlightened being, then he said our ability to help other people increases. He didn't use the word exponentially because that's not a word for him. That was not, <laughs> but it increases greater and greater and greater as when we become an enlightened being then our capacity to actually help people increases. And so even just little aspirational poems like this, all my mothers, all sentient beings throughout space, go for refuge to the gurus, the precious Buddhas. We're bringing them with us in our hearts and minds. And then the, the prayer continues. We go for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. The Buddha is the teacher, Dharma is the path, Sangha is our community. Uh, refuge means that we uh, seek protection from the pain and suffering of this world that we are trying to li both live in and go beyond. <laughs> we have to both live in this world and yet not be, not be beaten down by the world. We have to both live here and go beyond. And so that's what the word refuge means. It means protection while we are on that path. They protect us while we're going through it. We think of them and our minds are uplifted. So we go for refuge to the, the three jewels of refuge, the Buddha, the teacher, the Dharma, the path, and the Sangha. We go for refuge to the gurus, the teachers who have become awakened. Idam means um, 
Um, you know what they used to say in, um, when Tibetan Buddhism first was translated into the English language in the 19th century, the British called them patron Buddhas, kind of like patron saints in the Catholic tradition. That was the only, that was the only construct they had. Uh, they are Buddhas and bodhisattvas uh, who, by meditating upon them, can connect ourselves to our own Buddha nature. And Dakinis and protectors are beings who, I guess you would call them the roughed Buddhist equivalent of uh, angelic figures who are protectors to us in this life. And then finally, um, so by, by leading us in us and all beings in refuge with these three lines, we create this bond, this connection with all beings and help to bring them toward awakening as well. But this last line is the really cool one as far as I'm concerned. It says, we go for refuge to our own mind, mind, the empty, clear Dharmakaya. It's such a powerful word. We go to, for refuge to our own mind, the empty, clear Dharmakaya. The Buddha said that all of us have a mind and that mind has the capacity to know itself. And this knowing quality of mind is called um, luminosity. It's not literally click, click, a light, but it, it speaks to our experiential awareness, the fact that we can experience everything, colors, shapes, sounds. Even when we are dreaming, we have experience. Even when we're sleeping, we experience the mind. We have experience in the mind. This experiential quality is called mind's clarity. But its unestablishedness, the fact that it's not a material thing, the Buddha did not posit a material soul as was posited by some of the other traditions. He didn't posit that. He said that our minds are like a stream that go through from one life to the next and that we are continuously reinventing ourselves moment by moment by moment by moment with some of the appearances of the previous version of ourselves, but always evolving and growing, which to me is why Buddha's teaching is really radical. Buddha's teaching is really radical because when the Buddha first taught it, he was teaching it in a society that believed that if you were born in the highest class, that you were somehow better than everybody else. That was the belief, that if you were born in the highest class, that you were superior to everyone and that no one could touch you. And, and the Buddha said, I don't think so. He said, people are not noble by birth. They are noble by their actions. Radical for his time. They become noble by their thoughts, words, and actions. So his teaching was just amazing. And it was revolutionary in many, many ways. So what he was saying was even the person from the lowest class of society could actually be more noble than a person born at the highest rank in society. Like I say, radical. But what this means is that this mind, which is not a material thing, and yet has the capacity to experience everything, it can actually also experience itself and know itself completely. And that's what Buddhahood is. Buddhahood is that full and complete experience of mind as it is. And that's why this last line tells me something else about motherhood. We go for refuge to our own mind, the empty, clear Dharmakaya. Dharma means truth. Kaya means body, the body of truth, or the body or our mind as it really is, the Dharmakaya, awakened and yet not established as a thing. It's primordially awakened. 
We just have to align ourselves to that awakening, and that is the function of meditation and all of the other practices of Buddhism, is to align ourselves with that basic awakened nature and bring it out for the world. And so you could say that the best parent or mother is our wisdom mind, our own inner wisdom mind. And it tells us that, the Buddhist teaching tell us that even our delusion can be tamed. Even our confusion and delusion can be tamed. The Buddha said, do no harm, practice virtue, tame your mind. By doing this, we can become awakened ourselves. So you could say the best mother is our own mind, which we will gradually come to know through the practices of meditation. To, uh, to close today, I want to tell you about something I saw on the way here. I think that one of the qualities of motherhood is determination. I don't know if you've noticed this, but determination. Moms are pretty determined. And they're going to overcome just about any obstacle to do what they need to do to take care of their children. So I'm driving here today, and many of you are familiar with the small bird houses that are placed on posts at the sides of the roads. They're for bluebirds. Uh, to, because bluebirds live at the edge of things. They live at the edge of the forest. They live at the edge of the fields and so on. And they need places that are appropriate for them to live in. And so um, I saw um, a parent bird going to a nest in one of these boxes. But the box, which was mounted on a post, was actually tipped over, and I think it was about at a 45 degree angle to the ground, but still well above the ground. And, uh, and so, but sure enough, the parent was kind of flying up into the, <laughs> into the little hole and, and, and making a nest in there, in the little square part of the bottom. <laughs> and I thought to myself, now there's determination. <laughs> there's determination. That mother or father is trying to make a home out of something that's not quite right. But this is, this is actually all of us. We do have difficult times, and, and we do have difficult times in this life. But if we can have even a small amount of that determination and continue to meditate and to sit and to work with the teachings, do no harm, practice virtue, tame your mind, then we also can accomplish things. And it, it just amazed me that that little bird was trying to teach us something today about the determination that we can apply to our taking care of the child of our own mind, the child of our own practice, the child of our own situation, so that we could come to know the mother of all Buddhas, which is the nature of mind itself. So um, I think I'll stop here. Uh, and maybe uh, let's sit for just a moment, and then I'm, I'll be open for the, the question microphone will be open for business. Because we have, let me see, we have a few minutes, so we can do a little bit of question. We'll just sit quietly for a minute or two, just letting the mind come to rest.
Thank you. Um, I know we covered a lot of ground today. History, the history of the Buddhist family. We talked about the, um, the practices of meditation and goodness. We talked about karma and how all beings are our mother. And the Buddha, the, the, the best parent being our own Buddha nature. So if anybody has questions, curiosities, or just want to ask a question that is completely unrelated <laughs> of the question microphone, Don has it in the back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it might be easier if everybody comes to that side and kind of, that way you can line up. And uh, yeah, there we go. All right. Thanks, Don, by the way. Definitely pay attention to that man behind the curtain. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you for a wonderful, illuminating talk. So I just want to um, add two words that for people to relate this talk to. One is the ancestors. Because in the Native American community and in Asian communities and in African American communities and African communities, they have make a big emphasis on ancestors and will have shrines in their home mm -hmm. and offerings. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think that that is really something I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And yet, how we were able to build this building was technology that was developed over hundreds of years by those who came before us, who was passed down from generation to generation. And then, like you said, the, um, our life itself is passed down from the protozoa in the ocean. So we have literally lived like millions of lives and, and the genetics that are passed down are the, um, the, survive, the ones who survive to reproduce. So we're the survivors of survivors of survivors. Right. And the ones that survive are the ones that um, hypervigilant could look out for could look out for predators. That's why we're so anxious. And, and um, we now are hearing about epigenetics. It's not just our genetics, but epigenetics. And it's that, like they gave mice a shock when they had a certain smell. They took those mice away from their parents, but they still, like two generations later, reacted to that smell. So somehow our uh, experiences become encoded mm -hmm. in our genetics and we pass them down. Mm -hmm. So the other aspect of survival is not just avoiding uh, being eaten, but also how to nurture well-being. So that that also, um, psychologists are saying, is encoded in our genetics, in our epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So if we are kind to others and we do whatever we can to promote well-being in them and also to reduce trauma, to not be mean to them, and to create healthy environments, we're literally changing their epigenetics, which literally changes the generations after them. So in that way, we are literally, according to science, mothers of everyone around us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Yep. And the Buddha came up with all this without getting a PhD and connecting experiments on mice <laughs> and stuff. He just, he's just like the most brilliant genius of all time, in my view. Thank you so much. That's true. You know, the Buddha didn't have a PhD, but yeah, I get, I get the point. It's really true, isn't it, that, um, that we, uh, we have these things as part of us. These are part of us. We're the survivors of survivors and so forth. And so now we have the opportunity to change what happens in the next generation just by how we are now. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you, Lama Kathy. Yeah. Uh, my questions uh, all relate to refuge and, and, the, and the reference to refuge that you made in that poem. Uh, first, I, I need to say I, I made announcements after our morning meditation session, and I said the wrong date for the refuge ceremony. Uh, two weeks from now, it will be on a Saturday, yeah. not on a Sunday, right? Saturday at two. Yeah, Saturday and, at two. And, yeah, yeah, the refuge Thank ceremony you. and the Chenrezig empowerment. So I just needed to correct the record there. Uh -huh. But then the other question I had: um, the last part of that that poem or that 
prayer mm -hmm. uh, that related to sort of, you know, taking refuge in our own um, yeah. Buddha nature, as you put it, reminded me of a kind of provocative thing that I heard uh, Chogyam Trungpa say a long while ago, which was that taking refuge in a Buddhist sense was really taking refuge in no salvation. <laughs> you know, refuge in no salvation at all. Uh -huh. uh, so I wondered if, if that, if I, my insight that that might connect to what you read in that prayer somehow could be true. Yeah. I, I really love this question because it's got a couple different points to it that are, that are really, really interesting. Um, first of all, uh, I have to say that uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, you know, we can all say many things about him, but he did have a gift for uh, being able to um, offer both comfort and reality at the same time. And I think that if, I, if we look at the time that he was living in and the time that he came uh, sort of of age as a teacher, there was a, uh, there was a vast movement uh, at that time to seek salvation from outside of oneself. And so he had to offer a nuanced approach uh, because for many people, salvation meant to accept a certain uh, a God or, um, or personage as someone who would save them. And this was, there was a huge movement at this, at the, in the 70s when he came of age as a teacher that was, uh, and then there was another similar movement that was uh, involving Eastern religion that was very popular at that time. Uh, those of you who uh, know the history of the rock and roll group, the Beatles, know that they went to India to sit with a holy man. And the reason they went to sit with the holy man was because it was said or rumored that if you sat with an enlightened holy man or woman, you yourself would get enlightened just in their presence. You would be saved by them instantly in their presence. So into this situation where both Eastern and Western religions are promising some kind of salvation, into this situation walks Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, wanting to debunk the myth of salvation while at the same time saying, Refuge is, is important. So it, he had a very nuanced position to take, if you look at it from that point of view. He had to take a very nuanced position. So he was able to say, you take refuge in the fact that you can't be, there, there is no salvation, which is pretty darn, yeah, that's pretty darn gutsy. Right, because he's he's confronting people with the idea that they that they have to recognize that that there is no external force that is going to change their mind and make them different. They have to change themselves from within. And I feel that that in the end is why he took that that uh, course, and uh, it's evident in the title of one of the books, The Wisdom of No Escape, which I believe was Pema Chodron's book, and she learned it from him. So this idea is that there's great wisdom in being self-sufficient and finding all the goodness in the world within yourself rather than trying to grab it from external sources. Because this really is, this is like Buddhism 101, right? The Buddha said, suffering's part of life, first noble truth. Cause of suffering is grasping and clinging, second noble truth. Third noble truth, because there's a, there's a, um, a cause of suffering, there's a solution to it. And fourth, that, that there's a path that brings about an end of suffering. And so in that way, that really is the wisdom of there not being someone to grab you and pull you out. That you actually, in fact, you will pull yourself out. And the Buddha, it is said that when the Buddha passed away, uh, his, uh, his students said to him, you know, don't go away, teacher, we will need you. How will, we, how will we do without you? 
And, and he said, oh no, I've given you everything you need. Now work on your own salvation with diligence. You know, so in that way, in that way, the, the Buddha reinforced this same idea that you could take refuge and otherwise look to the Buddha as your protection while you are going through the process of awakening. But that the Buddha himself could not give enlightenment. He even said that. I cannot give anyone enlightenment. I can just show the way. I'm not sure that that was an actual answer to your question. <laughs> but it, it Very much me, so. Okay. It, oh, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, it allowed me to, um, to give my 25 cent explanation about uh, Trungpa's um, position. This is just my theory as to why he emphasized this wisdom of no escape and no salvation. I think he was uh, teaching in an almost confrontational style to, to confront us with the futility of our uh, attempts to escape. Yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you for reminding me of my former motherhood. I, I lost track of that somewhere along the line. I, I'm, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're all here for you. <laughs> and thank you for the Mother's Day greeting. Yes, yes, I can say now to all of you, Happy Mother's Day, because you've all been my mom. Any other questions? Okay, well then, uh, we'll, uh, we'll conclude here with a dedication. Uh, it's a very Buddhist thing to do, to gather together the goodness that we've accumulated here uh, by, and dedicate it to the... Um, to the benefit and liberation of all beings. Okay, so uh, we think we cast our minds out to all of our mothers and um, make the aspiration that they are all uh, safe and taken care of and free from suffering and pain and make the aspiration that through listening to this talk today, through our own meditation, our own practice, may we benefit others endlessly. So we're now going to I dedicate this merit to the uh, to the benefit of all. It's said in Buddhism that you uh, the only way to uh, to keep the goodness that you've generated is to mentally give it away. So here we go. An English first. By this merit, may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara. May we free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is. Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way. And all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path. I completely dedicate all this virtue. I'll go ahead and recite it in Tibetan. Tomne ne petra nam pam jene, kegana chi palap trupai, si pe so le troar troar shoy, cham pal pa wo ji tar ken Kuntu sampoi te yam te shin te De da kun gi che su ta loi ching Ge wadi ta tam che rap tu mo Now uh, we'll sit quietly for just a moment and mentally dedicate the goodness. Thanks, everyone. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.